normally when I introduce a podcast episode, I try to say something controversial or, you know, interesting or attention getting, whatever. This one, I'm going to be simple. We're going to talk to an Olympic handball player. And if you don't even know what that is, you're going to love this. And if you do know what that is, you're going to love it even more. So that's what's going to come uh, on this episode of the Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, starting feet first, because, you know, those things are your foundation after all. And we break down the propaganda, the mythology, sometimes the outright lies you've been told about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body and to uh, work and play and do yoga and CrossFit and um, tennis and pickleball and anything you do, basically, and to do that enjoyably, effectively, efficiently. Did I say enjoyably? Wait, I know I did. That's a trick question, but my brain is a little mush because it's Halloween today when we're recording this. And uh, I don't know why. Oh, it's the candy that made me a little nutty. So anyway, I'm Stephen Sashin from ZeroShoes.com, your host of the movement movement. And we call it that because we're creating a movement that's a thing and something happening in society about natural movement, about letting your body do what it's made to do. And that first part involves you. It's free. It's easy. It's simple. All you do is share and like and give us a thumbs up and reviews, et cetera. And go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com to find previous episodes, all the places you can get the podcast, all the ways you can interact with us on social media. There's no cost to join. That's just the domain that I got. Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, look, you know the drill. If you want to be part of the tribe, just subscribe. So now here we are. Um, if you do me a favor, tell people who you are and what you're doing here with your handball ninja shirt. <laughs> uh, everybody, I'm ABA Jeremy Dodoma. I am one of the captains of the USA men's beach handball national team. My nickname internationally is Handball Ninja, as you see on this shirt here. And I'm excited to be on the podcast, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, ABA. No, it's a thrill having you because, you know, you reached out to us at some point and said, if I'm remembering this correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I remember at some point getting an email. It's like, hey, I'm wearing your shoes. And by the way, I'm an Olympic handball player. And we're like, what? So um, so first of all, that's how this started. But I think, I mean, I was hip to handball a little bit. But for those who aren't, who think of handball as a thing you play in the streets of New York, where you're literally just, you know, smacking a ball against a wall. And it's a variation of, of, um, actually there's no, other, it's, oh, you know what it is? It's high lie without the, without the thing that you use to throw a ball and high lie. And someone will leave in the comments what that thing's called. Cause I can't remember right now. Pelota, I think. Anyway, so tell people about high lie and then also about, uh, sorry about, not about high lie. Jesus. <laughs> Holy moly, man. I have got to start this day all over. Talked about handball, and we'll dive in from there. Yeah, so uh, handball is commonly known or referred to as soccer with your hands. Like that was the initial premise of the sport. So if you think of a game involving trying to put a ball into a net, similar to soccer, 11 people on a field, they essentially decided, let's just use our hands and call that a sport. Wait. And that was the... I know, right? Like that's the that's the original origin of the sport. Well, when, uh, when eleven on eleven, happen? depending on the historian that you ask, you know the roots of the game are traced back to nineteenth century Europe. As far as the original version of the game, and I'll kind of explain how the game has evolved since then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but its initial roots were soccer or football, known internationally. Somebody saying, "Hey, we should just do this with our hands." Uh, and that version of handball was actually the first version of handball. We call it field handball. That was a part of the Summer Olympic program in 1936 in uh, Berlin. Uh, what ended up happening was throughout the 40s and 50s, they took that concept of the game 
and they moved it indoors for the winter. And they found that it was a more attractive game uh, because players can throw the ball quite as far on a full 11-on-11 full 11 11 soccer field, condensing the court where passes can be closer, shots can be more frequent. There's an indoor version of the game that was 7-on-7 seven seven in size that became the more popular version of handball versus the original 11-on-11 uh, 11 soccer-with-your-hands version of the game. And in the 1972 Olympic Games, uh, indoor handball, became the version of handball that was on the summer Olympic program. And it's been there in the 50 years since. So, uh, so if, do people still play outdoor? Is there still an outdoor league or outdoor tournaments? Outdoor field handball is generally played recreationally. Um, and very rarely is it played the full 11 on 11 version that was in the 1936 Olympic games, uh, but handball is played, you know, similar to soccer being played across different surfaces. If you think of futsal and beach soccer and, and indoor soccer and field soccer, handball is another sport that is played across different surfaces. Just the indoor seven-on-seven seven version is the one in the Senior Summer Olympic Games, and it's arguably the most popular version of the game played worldwide. But fast forward to the 21st century, similar to beach volleyball, becoming a spinoff of indoor volleyball and finding its niche. A beach handball uh, had its first world championship at the turn of the millennium, and it's the trendy, you know, hip, uh, younger cousin of handball. Uh, it's, uh, it's a game that emphasizes aesthetics. There's generally less contact between the players than in the indoor version of the game, and that's to promote more freedom of movement. So you tend to see more spectacular and acrobatic plays in the beach version of the game. And that's the version that I'm currently captain of our U.S. national team. Do you have to wear a little thong like the beach volleyball girls? No. Uh, oddly enough, uh, <laughs> we actually went through our version of Bikini Gate oh, really? during the pandemic. <laughs> so on the women's side, it's actually really funny you, you asked the question. But on the women's side, their uniform was a bikini uniform that, that was mandated. And... At the 20 championships, the Norwegian women's team actually protested that. So they played the Spanish national team in the third place game with some shorts nice. to, to protest uh, that uniform. And then it actually became one of the bigger public stories throughout the pandemic. There were friends of mine and celebrities that were talking about beach handball. And I've been trying to turn them on to the sport for a decade, but this bikini gate issue becoming global had a couple of my friends, Hey, this is the sport you play, right? Like, well, how come the women <laughs> have to wear bikinis? I was like, I've been trying to tell you about this sport for seven years. And now you want to talk about it because you want to change our women's uniform. But ultimately yeah. uh, their uniform did get changed. I'll bite with some controversy on the other end because there were some women's players who said, Hey, you know, we feel more comfortable competing in a bikini right. and we didn't want that uniform to change. And in most competitions and you know, what we go about in the United States is we follow beach volleyball and having a more flexible teams can pick a uniform length and cut that is comfortable for them to wear. Uh, and that's generally how we do U S competitions internationally. There's just a standardized new uniform that has a little bit more material on top. And then it's uh, shorts versus bikini bottoms. But uh, very funny that you asked the question well, <laughs> off the cuff because that was something that we very recently went through in our sport. Well, I'm curious. See, if I was on the men's side and this was coming up, 
the way I would have done a protest is I would have had all the men going out wearing a bikini bottom and just say, you know, uh, just see how you like it now. So believe it or not, uh, when this was going on, you know, our men's team was thinking of ways in which we could advocate uh, for our women's players. And that idea came up and then a couple of guys were like, uh, let's see if we can find another way to, to, to help them. I'm, out. I'm guessing. I'm guessing, and you know, please don't pass this on to the people who uh, who said no to that idea. I'm just guessing the people who didn't want to do it were worried about whether they could fill out a bikini bottom. Sure, let's go with that rationale. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say that was the reason why. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know at some point I'm going to get beaten up by a couple of handball players. Um, no, no, we're, we're a nonviolent group of guys. We're very fair play oriented. So don't yeah, worry just, about any I retaliation. Just, I just accused a couple of them of not packing. So that's a whole other story. But um, I don't know them, so I don't know who it was. It's all a joke. Um, I don't want to be walking down the beach and get hit by a ball in the back of the <laughs> So, uh, but backing up, I, I've got to say this, you know, with the description of soccer with your hands, that does not do it justice because soccer, while it can be engaging sometimes, especially as the ball gets close to the net, handball is like exciting 24 <laughs> seven. I mean, you know, and, and one thing to that, because I've become a beach sport ambassador and aficionado since I've gotten involved with beach handball, um, and I've become a beach soccer fan. You know, I'm, I'm good friends with a number of the players on both the women's and men's beach soccer national teams. And beach soccer to me is the most exciting version of soccer there is because the field is small enough that anybody can score at any time. Right. And so I think the issue that some people may have with soccer being not quite as exciting as handball is has to do with the size of the field. Because when you have such a big field, buildup takes a long period of time but beach soccer in contrast the field is small enough that literally anybody can score at any time like because both goals are close enough and to me that's what makes beach soccer an extremely exciting version of soccer and handball being a size court that is you know similar to basketball a little bit longer you know you have fast breaks you have such quick transitions it's a very high scoring game as you're alluding to I think part of it has to do with the size of the field, not just the fact that we get to use our hands over our feet. Um, there's a joke in there about size, which is going to become a theme in this podcast, I can tell. So, um, you know, it's funny. I'm thinking about uh, we were invited. We were talking to USA Rugby about working with them, and we got invited to a world championship match. And the rugby pitch is even bigger than a soccer pitch. And the thing that was interesting is there, the, de the delineation is between the number of players on the field. And when there's more players on the field, ironically, the game moves a little slower. When there's only seven guys on, the, on each side on the field, it is insane because it's just, you know, people sprinting like crazy and then smashing into each other. I mean, it's like roller derby. So, I mean, the same concept uh, applies even within the sport of handball. And part of what's increased attractiveness of the sport over time is moving to smaller sided versions of the game where there is more space for players to move more freely. So if you compare beach handball, which is a four on four game versus indoor handball, which is seven on seven, the beach game is extremely fast. Interesting. Yeah. The seven on seven version of the game is it's faster than 11 on 11, but not quite as fast. And Got so, it. and I don't know if you know that I actually have experience with USA rugby. Oh, no, um, I didn't. played on the, the six aside version of rugby national team for the U S 
And that game is extremely fast because players have to cover a full pitch with a small number of guys and with so yeah. much open space, everybody's able to sprint around versus with 15s rugby, the more people you have on a pitch, there's less space. And so the right. general pace of play will slow down. Well, the, I mean, the other thing with the 15s, I, I'm guessing, is that there's more guys who are just monsters. I mean, they're fast, but, you know, they're monsters. And, I mean, the first time these guys all walked on the field, I said, this is a group where every one of those guys could walk up to Mike Tyson and go, pussy. <laughs> and, you know, and he would back down. I mean, just, I mean, Mike's a different breed, but point taken. No, the yeah. guys on our 15 squads, they're just massive human beings. Oh, my God. Especially the front line. <laughs> Yeah, that front line is just just incredible. And I mean, there's times where from the other side of the pitch, I mean, a good hundred meters away, you hear a collision that sounds like a car crash. I mean, geez. Anyway, but enough about rugby. So how and how did you end up getting involved in handball at all? Because this is not a sport, obviously, that is super, super popular in America and definitely not when, you know, whenever it was you got introduced to it. Well, certainly. And uh, I don't get old it never gets old for me to tell my handball origin Good. story. So when I was 15 years old, I was going into my junior year of high school during the Summer Olympics in what was then Beijing. And just that summer, I happened to be flipping through channels. And I happened to flip to a handball game right as a goal uh, was being scored. I was like, oh, what was that? It was just something that caught my attention. I'm watching this game go back and Forth. and it looked like water polo but it was on land and you know basketball was my first love and it looked like basketball but there were goalies at the end and I for as much as I, a sports aficionado as I thought I was I had never seen or heard of this sport so I thought and I'm just trying to figure out like what is this sport so I'm watching it I'm looking for a name to come up somebody to, to mention it and it wasn't until the end of the game that there was a handball decal with the Olympic logo that came up, it's like handball, did a Google search. And it was news to me that it was an Olympic sport. It seemed like something that my fifth grade PE teacher made up. But I didn't know that actually passing and catching and trying to throw a ball into a net outside of water was an Olympic sport until I happened to stumble across at that Olympic Games. And I became so enamored with it that the rest of the Olympic Games, I did whatever I could to watch a handball game in LA to Beijing. Yeah. Is there a bit of a time zone difference? So I'm up yeah. at 2, 3 a.m. trying to catch some of these handball games. And at the end of the Olympics, I was so enamored with the sport. I asked around, like friends, family, you know, did Google searches, looking for just a place to play the sport. And I stumbled across the Portland Sasquatch Handball Club. I don't know if I mentioned I grew up in a suburb of Portland, Oregon. And I sent them an email, said, hey, you know, I play basketball and baseball at, at Lakers High School. And if there's any opportunity for me to try out handball, I don't know what the league season is or what you know the competitive teams are like because yeah, I played AAU basketball and I'm familiar with you know, different uh, sporting systems in the U.S., both playing for your school and playing separately of that. And they said, yeah, just come out. And the first day, they kind of tricked me <laughs> the first day that I came out. So the very first day I came out, they were actually putting on a youth clinic at the school where one of the players in the club was a German teacher. And so it was a German American exchange and she brought out her German students to play handball. So my first day out, I'm playing with high school kids, like kids my age. Little did I know that that wasn't the composition of the actual club. 
So I come back the second week and it's the entire adult club um, that shows up and they essentially embraced me as one of their own. Obviously didn't know much about handball, but I was a pretty good athlete. And they said, look, we'll have you play on the wing, which is basically as far from the middle of the court as possible. When we get the ball, run as fast as you can. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll take care of the rest as far as like organizing and actually playing. And that's how I got started. And honestly, it was the perfect place for me to get started. Just cherry picking on the wing uh, with a bunch of older guys who were more experienced, but you know, they were past their prime athletically. And over time, they directly and also via osmosis just taught me the game and the flow and the movement of the game. And I played with them uh, the remainder of my time in high school and then made the decision to go to Oregon State University, one of the only schools in the U.S. and the only school in what was then the Pac-10, but now the Pac-12 to date my age, that had a college club handball team. So how big is handball, I mean, in the U.S. and then outside of the U.S.? And what are the opportunities here if somebody wants to play? That's a great question. So membership uh, was just over a thousand people for USA Team Handball last year, which in the grand scheme of an Olympic sport is very small. It's We're actually the smallest national governing body under the Team USA umbrella. Wow. Uh, to give you reference for how relatively overlooked the sport of handball is stateside. But it is a massive sport internationally, I believe. I know it was the second highest rated sport, team sport at the Summer Olympic Games in Rio. I don't have the specific analytics for Tokyo, but it is a very well-received sport uh, globally. There are a number of professional opportunities, primarily in Europe, uh, to play the sport. And it's such a weird dichotomy for us as Americans that put billions of dollars into a sport to have this one Olympic sport just seemingly slip through the cracks where we invest so much into so many different sports. I mean, obviously we have our big three and, and, you know, gridiron football, basketball, baseball, and then, you know, the other sports like soccer, hockey, water polo, volleyball that have X number of, of followers uh, but handball, for whatever reason, just slipped through the cracks in North America as a professional and Olympic sport that just never got traction, uh, yet. not just within the country, but within the content. But yet is is a key term and a big part of what I try to do as a national team player, as well as someone who serves on the board of directors for USA Team Handball is, is change just that and uh, help grow opportunities and build exposure to the sport for fellow Americans. Because I've been able to play in 20 countries outside of the U.S. Uh, in my international athletic career. And I've had some great experiences and I want to be able to share some of what this sport can offer, not just domestically, but globally with fellow Americans. It's actually a funny but interesting pitch is given that it is so small in America, the opportunity, if you get in and are good, to do something like you know play internationally is obviously much higher than if you're trying to get into a sport where there's a lot of guys above you who are going to get those positions. I 100% agree. And you know, there's a little bit of an internal debate amongst like former USA team handball Olympians and newer players as far as how accessible we want the sport to be. Because naturally, we're competitive guys. We don't want to make it seem like average Joe can be yeah. on our national team. But I'm more on the side of I want the average American who comes across this to feel as if they could be my teammate, whether it's at the World Beach Games next year in 2023, if you know we end up qualifying for the Paris Olympic Games, 
I mean, there's so many amazing American ball sport athletes who, who play basketball, baseball, football, water polo, who just do not know that they're elite handball players. But right. if you give them a handball, they'll have the athletic attributes to be able to cross in. And internally, it's a bit of a debate as far as, you know, how much of kind of an old boys or closed boys club we want this to be and how much of a, yo, like, yeah, like you, you definitely can be an Olympian through this yeah. sport. This is going to be your best bet well, you know, if you play other sports. It reminds me of the former sprinters who then became bobsledders because exactly. they, were, they were great in the back of the sled. And so, you know, to get someone from someone of some notoriety from some other sport to join handball is the kind of thing that make it move. But of course, the biggest thing is getting kids starting to play because obviously the more the bigger the pool that you're able to draw from, the more you're going to start finding players of you know that are really really talented and they they'll always rise to the, to the top but this this just makes me think of of a fun question which is um what was the conversation like when you said to your parents you were going to be a professional handball player <laughs> and to give you some context uh i didn't necessarily grow up in an athletic family i mean i have some athletes in my family but i, I grew up in an academic family uh, you know, my mom's a Harvard Law grad. Dad went to Yale. Uh, you know, law is the family trade. Uh, I have a grandfather who was prime minister of Uganda. Uh, and so I, I grew up in a family that very much prized academia. And they supported you know, sport to an extent. But you know, the decisions I made uh, late teens, early 20s to really pursue a sport at the time wasn't so initially well received, especially considering that you know, handball isn't like basketball. It's like, okay, at least we know what this sport is and the amount of opportunity there is in it. But what's this handball thing? But it was just something that, yeah, I fell in love with. And I mean, there's so many different levels and layers to the story, but just to get to, just to kind of stay on topic with uh, the question that you asked, initially not so great, but, you know, families over time come around. They, they found the sport to be very exciting and particularly as, you know, I've been able to play for Team USA over the past eight years and, it wasn't until my third year internationally that I had some family members come out to my first world championships. And then from that point, once they got to see it in person, they got hooked and they've been supportive ever since. But uh, the initial conversation wasn't, wasn't so <laughs> hunky-dory, to say the least. If it makes you feel any better, um, I graduated from Duke and told my father I was going to be a stand-up comic, and that went over like a lead balloon. Um, I can imagine. Yeah. The, the only thing that I had in my back pocket, literally, I had a letter from Northwestern Business School saying, if you want to come, it's free. And so I said, awesome. uh, let's just try this for a year, and you know, we'll take it from there. Meanwhile, I had no intention of ever going to Northwestern Business School. And but you bought of- yourself a year. I bought myself a year. And at the end of the year, you know, he's asking me about my friends who went to business school. I said, I'm making more money than the guys who just got out of business school. And I'm working an hour a day and I'm having a blast. So we're done with this conversation. <laughs> he, he never quite got it. I'm curious when you go to an international match or even, a, but especially I was going to say even national, but definitely an international match. I'm wondering how much it's like when I went to uh, the Atlanta Olympics as a spectator and watched um, Greco-Roman wrestling. And what I mean more specifically is other than me, it seemed that everybody who was watching those matches was either a current wrestler, a former wrestler or family of a wrestler. And it made the event 
like being, it was like, it was a giant picnic. I mean, it was, everyone knew each other. They'd all been around each other. And there was, my favorite part was there was this one Polish wrestler who was just having an incredible Olympic games and everyone knew he was playing, you know, playing, he was wrestling way above where he normally was. And everyone was so excited to see him kind of breaking out that suddenly everybody was Polish. The entire audience was like screaming, Polska. I mean, they were, cause they knew, and it was just like, how could you not be excited for this guy? It was the best. <laughs> <laughs> handball definitely has a similar culture and uh funny enough that you mentioned polska because i played my club ball in poland this summer and poland is one of the more well-liked countries particularly in beach handball oh I love uh, it. so it's, it's actually ridiculously funny that you use poland <laughs> as an example uh but actually the last world championships the team that took that spot as the country that the fans locally ended up joining was the Netherlands on the women's side. They ended up having amazing run. They won bronze uh, in, in the competition. And you know, their fans that came out were in all orange, similar to the orange that I'm wearing, right? And as they're making this run, they're playing the semifinals, the third place game. Yeah, the fans that were Dutch were joining the Dutch crowd of, of fans because their cheers were so fun. And it was just a fun team to root for. So there is some of that element of, of camaraderie and for the people in the sport being a big part of the crowd, uh, particularly in non-world championship events. You, know, you yeah. tend to have more of the local fans who are in the sport or connected to the sport in, in some regard. And when everybody knows everybody, and I can say this as a player, you know, I've played in, in five world tournaments, you, you get to know the other players and you yeah. start to you know, form relationships with them. And you get to a point where everybody knows everybody. And, well, that's uh, it. I, I imagine. I mean, dynamic. I mean, imagine. Look, everybody, athletes are athletes. You want to win, but when it's not like there's a boatload of money at the end of the rainbow. I imagine that at the end of a match, regardless of what happens, there's definitely a all right. Let's go out and have a drink kind of mentality. Yeah, there's there's definitely a camaraderie, and yeah, you know, say post competition. Yeah, we definitely as athletes, we find a way to get together and have a good time, and I'll leave it at that. I love it. Well, I hope people, I'm going to ask one other, well, maybe more, but I've got one other specific handball question in mind. And this comes from um, when I, one of the athletes we work with is Rafion Stotz. He's an MMA fighter. And I asked him for people who don't follow MMA, if they're going to watch a fight, and especially if they're going to watch his upcoming fight, which a little over a month from, this is a, November, a little over a month from now, um, six, five weeks from now, uh, he's going to be in a world championship fight. And I said, for people who don't know MMA, what should they look for? How do they watch it so they are not just watching people just smack each other and roll around and they have no frame of reference for what's happening? And I'll tell you his answer for the fun of it. He said, um, you want to look to see who is in control and interestingly, you can be in control from the bottom. So it might look like, you know, you're on your back and you're getting beaten up, but you're actually the guy in control. And if you're looking for that, trying to, to just understand what control looks like, even if you don't know what that means, it gives you a way of kind of getting in. Like with gymnastics, I'm a former All-American gymnast. When I tell people about certain events in gymnastics, you know, you can describe certain things to look for other than whether someone falls off or not. Yeah. That gives you a way of getting a, some sense of how to judge from your own little armchair whether someone's doing well or not. So is there an analogous thing like that for handball for so people when they're watching how they can feel like they know how to watch? 
Certainly. And uh, in both instances, both the gymnastics example as well as the MMA example, there are parallels uh, in handball. As far as control in MMA, I'd say that's a similar concept in handball. You want to get a feel for which team is more in control. And you can see that offensively and defensively. Teams that are a little more frantic, a little more sporadic, are probably on the losing end. You know, generally efficient offenses are those where guys have calm faces because right? <laughs> you could tell like they're in control. They're getting to the spots that they want to get to on the court. If they're having the defense rotate and scramble while they're composed, like that's generally the team that's better. And then vice versa, if the defense is well positioned and the offense is looking to break through and they feel stuck and they start getting frantic and they have less control, they're probably going to be less efficient overall. So I'd say that concept of control, as far as if you don't understand the sport, but you're trying to figure out, okay, who's winning or who's doing well, look for the team that's more composed. That's probably the team that's in the lead. So very direct parallel as far as your MMA example. And then with gymnastics, one of the things that's unique to beach handball uh, as a discipline is you get extra points for performing spectacular goals. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, uh, exactly. So spin, you know, if you do a 360 or more rotations before you score, it's actually worth extra. If you throw the ball in the air to a teammate and they catch in the air and they shoot and score before they land. And if, for those of us who are familiar with basketball, it's akin to an alley-oop. Yeah. Right. That's also worth extra as well. And so one of the things that we try to work on in, in our sport is that, you know, element of, increased body control and awareness and and kind of the spectacular um, movements similar to what you see in gymnastics and and try to utilize that in an effective means to to score. And so that's something that, you know, fans who maybe don't know about handball or beach handball, and this is their first introduction to it. If, you know, they stumble across, uh, you know, my page or that of my team, like those are the things that they can look for, those spins and uh, alley-oop and spectacular type of goals. So has anyone done a forward or backflip goal yet? Yes. Ah, and I want to see with it. that the sport is deemed that to be too dangerous of a spectacular action to perform. And so it's a maneuver that is particularly outlawed at this point. Uh, it was previously done. Oh, uh, man. Another exciting action that you can't legally do is propel yourself off of a teammate. I was going to ask that one because like watching yeah. rugby, the thing, you know, where they will like grab someone. In a line out. Yeah. And They'll just you know, lift someone 10 feet up. in the air. Yeah. You so legally you cannot, do cannot do that anymore in handball. Uh, there's some kids who have tried and there have been some horror stories that oh, I yeah. personally haven't witnessed myself, but enough to outlaw that particular action. Uh, as well as a live front flip. But they have been performed, and they are quite aesthetically pleasing when pulled off. <laughs> it's it It's a big debate in the gymnastics world as well. There are certain moves that, yeah. you know, I mean, when I was in high school, there was a, actually, I'll tell the story this way. When I got to college, I asked the coach to spot me for this one particular move. And um, I said, you just have to stand there unless it looks like something's going wrong. And it was it's called a running one and three. Basically, it's a one and a half front somersault. You end up in a dive roll. So you take off on your feet. You spin around and you're basically, you know, trying not to land on your head, but past your head. Yeah. 
And he actually spotted me badly. And I ended up ripping a bunch of muscles in my back. And years later, I said, why'd you do that? He goes, well, because there was only one other guy in the world who was doing that move. And I didn't think you were the other one. So I thought you were just lying when you said you were going to do it and trying to show off. It's like, no, I was one of the two guys. But that yeah, same year, there was like three guys who ended up paralyzed. So yeah, you know, they. Yeah. So there's that weird thing where you get extra points for risk. Yeah. Some of this stuff is stupid. Yeah, I know there are a number of sports that have a dynamic where you're trying to push the sport forward. Yeah. But at the same time, you don't necessarily want, not even for athletes who can do something, but if athletes can do something, if you think of someone like a Simone Biles, that the majority of human beings just cannot do, but they try to replicate it, they're very likely to hurt themselves. Uh, Because I know, if I'm not mistaken, because you're more akin to the gymnastics world than I was, that there's a pretty strong debate when she started performing a couple maneuvers that were either outside of the scoring system or... Well, they were um, inside, but it was really... Inside the scoring system, yeah. But it was just that. It's like, should we allow this because it is so risky? So and, risky, yeah. You know, on the one hand, it's like she's the only one who can do it. You could let her do it, but yeah. like it yeah. inspires other people to try. There's this there's this, a move that now looks quaint that Kurt Thomas did. It was a one and a half twisting back one and a half. So, wow. <laughs> so you're taking off backwards, but you end up doing it like a one and three, like a dive roll yeah. out of it. And um, I actually had a conversation with a three-time or two-time Olympic gymnast who I met a couple of weeks ago who used to do this movie. He goes, oh, yeah, there was once where I hit my head when I landed and the rest of the routine, I just had no memory of it at all. And it's the kind of thing that, um, I mean, he hit his head as he was rolling, but it definitely wakes you up. Yeah, yeah, not for sure. Yeah, it's... it's a tricky one. I mean, and there's things like that in just regular diving too. I mean, yeah. any, basically anything where you have the possibility of Any, landing your head, they don't want you doing it. Exactly. Yeah, it reminds me of um, Soraya Benali, who was a figure skater who did the oh, first right. backflipping competition yeah. and how much of a controversy uh, that was. Huge, um, huge. Huge controversy. Yeah, it's it, it's such an interesting thing because we're as as spectators, we're looking for those exciting things, and people are always pushing to do those things, and and I don't think people realize the what the real risk is, and, and and but at the same time, and I think some of it's related to how popular the sport is because we actually all know how risky just playing football is, but. That's right, yeah. But people are like, eh, we're going to keep playing football. But in yeah. gymnastics, they'll have an opinion, like with Simone, when she said, I need to take a mental health break. And people are like, you're, you're a chicken. Your responsibility is to this sport, yeah. you know, to be entertained. It's like, oh, no, no, I don't think you get what it's like <laughs> when there's a move that you've been doing successfully that's super dangerous. And then you do it once and you realize you were totally lost for the first time yeah. ever. Yeah. It's like, I got to back up. And people people just don't get the terror of not trusting yourself anymore. Now, I, I, I can only imagine. Uh, it's also one of the things I can relate to, at least in, in the most particular situation, is when you're doing something that most people aren't doing, Yeah, you know, sometimes the degree of difficulty gets lost because you're kind of in your own space and you're trying to push the envelope of it and people may not necessarily be able to relate to Okay, I made that move look easy, but it was extremely difficult or is dangerous. <laughs> no, you nailed it. It's yeah. because when you can do it well, it doesn't look difficult. Difficult, yeah. I mean, I remember, I, I'm, for the sake of rambling about myself for a second, yeah. um, when I watched video of my competitions, 
the simplest moves got the most response because, I mean, I tumbled, I was like flipping really high in the air, but it was a simple move, but it was just like really high, but the really difficult stuff looked easy and didn't seem like it was a big deal. It's like, no, that's the one that I spent four years working on. Working on, yeah. I can 100% relate to that, even within the sport of handball. Oh, sure. The moves that people relate to versus the moves that technically are the more difficult ones. There's definitely a discrepancy between the two. Sorry, I got to do this one. This is my favorite version yeah. of that. Um, have you ever gone to a Cirque du Soleil show? I have once. It was incredible. Oh, it's my favorite. The first one I saw was, Jesus, you know, 30 plus years ago. Um, the last words I heard after the show ended was, sir, you have to leave now. Because I was just in the stands crying. I was just so impressed and thinking, I should be doing that with my life. I'm glad I didn't. But regardless, there was in the, one of the early shows, oh, I forgot the name. This these two brothers. Um, they do a hand balancing act. And you wouldn't know they were brothers. One is really big and blonde. And the other was still pretty big, but not that big. And a brunette guy. And they used to do this one bit where the blonde guy, he's lying on his stomach on the ground and the brunette guy is doing a handstand on his feet. Okay. And then the, what the blonde guy does is he gets up. So he stand so he's on his knees. The other guy's still doing a handstand on his feet. And then basically the blonde guy does a leg curl with the guy doing a handstand on his feet. And it's like, he tries and doesn't make it. And he tries again and doesn't make it. And then he tries uh, and then he makes it. And the place goes crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just so happened, again, I stayed till way after people were supposed to leave. Yeah. I saw these guys warming up for the next show. And he was doing that hamstring curl with a guy doing handstands on his feet, like just, you know, sets of 20. Yeah, like it was nothing. But it was, it was definitely effortless. Yeah. Effortless, yeah. <laughs> so I guess, I mean, that's part of the performance is, is selling the struggle or selling the totally. journey of the struggle, even if it's something that's relatively simple for you at a certain point. Yeah, you know, look, it, it's a show. It's not... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so anyway, I got to, so on to the part where we kind of hinted at the beginning, um, you, I want to, I'd love for you to chat just about this whole phenomenon. You're an athlete who is on your feet doing things. You somehow discovered us, um, and have been happily wearing zero shoes. Can you talk about just how you found us? What made you interested in what your experience has been from getting out of, you know, shoes that look like the thing I'm holding up this big, thick padded elevated motion control, whatever, to what you're now wearing. Yeah, and my journey into you know barefoot shoes or to minimalist shoes started when I made the transition from our indoor handball national team to our beach handball national team in 2015 because that was the first time I'd played a barefoot sport and very quickly recognizing that it's a different dynamic uh, playing a sport with without you know shoe support or pad support just how you articulate your feet and in my case this is the first time I was playing a sport in sand and it became quite evident that strengthening my feet was going to become important for me to be successful. And, and that was something that I didn't just want to do on the court. You know, something that I realized that I wanted to integrate into my life, you know, as I made beach handball uh, a part of what I, what I wanted to do. And as I started transitioning to, to minimalist footwear, uh, you know, discovering some other companies, what happened during the pandemic was I competed in February, 2020, the world shut down. Uh, a couple weeks after my competition in Mexico, I was back in California, just training at home. And I wanted to chronicle the type of training I was doing during the pandemic. Right? Uh, Cause I wasn't you know, around my teammates. I wasn't playing the sport, but just training by myself. And I wanted to really chronicle this particular and unique period of time known as COVID-19. And 
the world shut down February, March of 2020. My birthday was in June of 2020. And I had this idea in May to, to make a video, basically just capturing how I was training March, April, May by myself. And I wanted a pair of all black minimalist shoes. And I, I just happened to stumble across you guys. You know, I was familiar with a couple other companies, but I happened to stumble across a Prio that was an all black Prio. And there was one in my size, size 15. I was like, okay, this is going to be perfect for the video and be a chance to at least try out a different uh, minimalist shoe. And I got the pair, loved it, uh, wore it in the video that I shot. I ended up winning World Games Athlete of the Month uh, through that video as uh, as a result of inspiring people to train in isolation uh, during the pandemic. And I happened to be wearing a pair of Prios in that video and through uh, you know, Rachel and social media on social media team, you know, she reached out and was like, Oh my God, this video is incredible. And you're in our shoes and we have to interview you. We have to get to know <laughs> your story. And these just took off from there and you know, explored more of the line. And you know, it's, it's essentially the soul of my footwear collection uh, at this point. And it's very in line with who I am on and off the court. And it's, it's just been a great you know, three years just living life foot first. Hey, thank you. And uh, we don't need to dwell on that because you just made me think of something else that, I, that in the little bit of time we have left. One of the things that I really love when I've talked to you is I don't think people think about this a whole lot is what it's like being a professional athlete, a world-class athlete and what you're doing when you're not doing that sport or when you're not training specifically or explicitly for that sport. And I'm going to set you up. Um, I'm teeing this one up and you can hit it totally out of the park. There's another thing that you discovered that you do that uh, discovered to do or that you do when you're not training that that actually facilitates your play. And I think you know what I'm referring to. Yeah, I do. And uh, I'm pretty sure it's dancing is what you're teaching. It is me dancing. <laughs> and let's be clear, it is a special kind of dancing. Yeah. What is the dancing that you do? Yeah, uh, more specifically, social dancing uh, or partner dancing. And, and that's something that I've found to be, on a number of levels, conducive to, to my handball game. Uh, See, it just occurred to me, I would actually, it occurs to me now that I would think that being a good social dancer, and this is like swing and salsa, those kind yeah, of things. Yeah. I would assume that being a, how tall are you? I'm six one. Being a six foot one fit, good looking man, that this would be counterproductive to your professional athletic career <laughs> because uh, you're, you'd be the bell of the ball and, <laughs> and have some opportunities mere mortals like I would not have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm flattered. <laughs> I'm flattered. <laughs> but no, wrong or um, I right? I'm, I'm not going to say that you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, leaving that aside now, yeah. I, I would love for you to talk about just you know the relationship between between social dancing, partner dancing, and playing a sport, a team sport like this. Because when we when we brought it up in our last conversation, I thought this was so interesting. And there are a number of dynamics when you partner dance. You know, one, there's generally a person who's more masculine role who's leading or determining the moves that are going to be done. And then there's a follow, typically a feminine role who's responding to that. And that ability to interact generally with a stranger, because a lot of times you'll go to a place where you don't know 
your partner. And so you have to improvise your dance on the fly to music that you're not necessarily knowing. And that dynamic of reading and reacting to a partner or an opponent uh, in concert with maneuvering around other people or other couples who are dancing, similar to your teammates and the other teammates on the floor, uh, helps train a number of crossover cognitive skills. Like obviously there's you interacting with your partner. The only difference when you're social dancing is you're reading, reacting to the partner you're dancing with and you're trying to work in concert with them. Whereas if I'm in a one-on-one situation with a handball opponent, I'm reading, reacting to them to not work in concert with them. But the same reading, the same underlying read and react is there where I'm physically moving myself and I have to be sensitive to the movements of my opponent. And then, like I said, the only difference when I'm dancing is I'm responding to my opponent's movements and then trying to facilitate their next movements being easier. Whereas when I'm on a handball court, I'm responding to their movements. I'm trying to make their movements more difficult. Ever any opportunity when playing handball to dip and drop someone? Not legally. (laughs) 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 I'm trying to think if I have. I've definitely been fouled and have been caught by a teammate in falling over. I think it's probably the closest. Um, but I don't think I've dipped an opponent uh, in handball. I, I think it's, uh, that I think would be actually, funny. I think it's actually that, it, yeah, if you do get fouled and someone does catch you, you've got to do something out of that. You've got to make that, you've got to turn that into a dance step. <laughs> I'll work on it in the future. The next time <laughs> well, you just gotta I'll send you a clip. Yeah, you just got to practice it so you're ready. It's just in your back pocket, ready to ready to pull yeah. out. Yeah, maybe it could be one of our next team celebrations, <laughs> just a guess. <laughs> but I'm assuming for the group of guys who weren't too fond on wearing bikinis, I'm not sure if uh, a dip yeah. is going to be the next team celebration. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see. If, if it happens, I'll, I'll be good sure to send po- good, point and even, good point and even better. Good callback. That was pretty yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much appreciate it uh no no this is this is a total blast um and and i i can't tell you how much you know i appreciate age the conversation to be um you know you're being part of what we're doing to help people understand the value of natural movement i mean that's you know blah 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 we just are really thrilled that we're able to help and we're trying to help more people obviously so thank you for um helping do that if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to and uh handball please tell the humans how they can do that yeah, I've tried to make this simple over the years. You can find me on all social media at Handball Ninja, H-A-N-D-B-A-L-L-N-I-N-J-A. That is Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, you know, basically any social media handle at Handball Ninja, you'll likely find me. And it's the easiest way to get in contact with me and keep up with what I'm doing in the sport of handball and otherwise all across the globe. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Oh, wait. Uh, so you haven't been doing this long enough to have a MySpace page? No, uh, Facebook was my first social media right. profile uh, as far as what I would also do you know, business-wise as well. Uh, MySpace was, I first discovered MySpace when I was in junior high, but I didn't really get into social media until I was in high school. Oh, God. But that is, that is a callback. <laughs> <laughs> MySpace.com. Yeah. Uh, it's it's yeah. a flashback. It's like, it's yeah. funny. You can't, you can't say MySpace without people like instantly getting a, an image in their mind of their MySpace page. It's just like this. Uh, weird I, mean, I think when I think MySpace, I, I think of Tom, obviously. Well, and that's He's it. the one person who's his friend. <laughs> yes. You either think of your page or you think of Tom. You think and, of Tom. <laughs> 
was brilliant. Let's leave I'll, let's leave people on that image in their brain. <laughs> good old MySpace. Uh, now I'm curious what Tom's up to. I know. Now. <laughs> I, that's definitely something. I bet if we just Google what's Tom up I'm to. I'm sure if we Google what's Tom up to, you can wait, probably find it. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Wait, I'm going to do it right now. Hold on. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. I'm curious now. Uh, I might have to put in what's MySpace, Tom, but I'm going to try what's Tom yeah. up to now. And let me see if I get an answer. Um, this would be so great if it's. It'd be you know, funny if like the first thing that comes up, if what, oh what my is Tom God. up to is MySpace Tom. It is. Here. It's a thing. It's been up to since. Well, the 50-year-old lives in Hawaii and appears to be leading an amazing life as a travel photographer, exploring the world and sharing his beautiful snaps from exotic destinations like Thailand, Bhutan, and the Maldives on his Instagram and Twitter accounts. So now you know where Tom is now. He's on Instagram and Twitter now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, that's too... That's brilliant. That'd be good on him. He seems like he's living a good life. Yeah. I think that's a fine, a fine thing. Uh, it's a fine way to live. <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of getting out and having fun, uh, first of all, yeah. thank you. Oh, wait, next competition coming up, next match. Uh, next competition, as far as what we're doing at Team USA internationally, we're building up to the 2023 World Beach Games in Bali, Indonesia. So uh, as a link to you know, Tom being an exotic. Yeah, I was going to say, look for that's Tom. Gonna be, yeah, look for Tom <laughs> uh, photographing us in, in Bali, Indonesia. <laughs> In, in August 5th through 12th, 2023, that's the next big world competition oh, for man. my national team. Uh, good luck with that. I, I, I'm right. only now imagining as a starting – well, I was going to say starting to date cold here in Colorado. It's only cold at night. It's in the 30s at night. It's in the 70s all day still. It's crazy. But yeah. nonetheless, um, thinking of Bali, that's that's a pleasant one as the weather starts to change. So, all right. For the last time, I've said it five times. Um, Amy, thanks so much. This is, again, a total treat for everybody else. Once again, thank you for joining. And go check out www.jointhemovementmovement.com for previous episodes, all the ways you can interact with us, all the places you can find the podcast. And, of course, if you have any questions or feedback or comments or recommendations for people to have on the show, you can drop me an email. I'm at move at jointhemovementmovement.com. But most importantly, just go out, have fun and live life feet first.